Being the Worst, Episode 3, recorded live, Wednesday, August 22nd, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulid. In this episode, Carrie and Renat discuss the importance of the spoken words we use and how they impact the messages we create in code. From there, they introduce two critical message types, commands and events. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Being the Worst podcast. I'm Carrie, and I'm here with Renat. Hey, Renat. Hey, Carrie. Hey, guys. Today we're going to get into a continuation, actually, of the messaging topic. Over the last couple of days, Renat's had a chance to think about how important it is to um, have a foundation in the lingo of the messaging stuff, and uh, we'll get into that. And uh, also, I've also had a chance to do the homework that was assigned in the last messaging episode, the uh, messaging basics, and I went through the sample source code that we talked about, and... Uh, I'm going to just give a recap of kind of where I'm at with that and what I did so that if you want to do the same, you can uh, you can also learn along with the source code. So in the last episode, we talked about the source code that we had on GitHub. And if you want to go look at that, again, that's at github.com. And our username is being the worst, all one word. And there's a repository in there called btw-samples. And inside that repository is the sample projects. Uh, if there's an episode that has code in there uh, or is referencing code, we will have the sample in there. And we went through that uh, episode 002 messaging basics code uh, in the last episode. And what's happened since then is I've gone through that and I added my own verbose comments to it so that me and anyone else who wants to could read through that. And the summary that I got from that was, Basically, if you if you go top to bottom from program.cs, you can almost read it as a narrative. And what I learned in Messaging Basics was, you know, we talked a little bit about like how traditional programming happens where you're doing remote procedure calls or you're calling methods directly and blocking your program's execution. So it can't do anything else until that method returns. So that's at the beginning of the, the code. And after you do the blocking stuff, we got into the, the basics of messaging and what is a message and defining a message. And in that sample, we started off by saying, hey, I'm going to create a new message called add product to basket message. And when we created that, it allowed me to see how that message class itself encapsulated the function call that we just made right above it, except that we're not going to do it in a blocking way and use the flexibility of messaging. And so you go through the code and you see how the message gets created and then you see how we introduce the concept of queues, uh, in this case, an in-memory queue, which allows us to store messages away for when we want to execute those function calls later. And then we moved on to, okay, cool, we've got messages in a queue. Let's pull them out of the queue and call those functions on those classes we care about. And uh, you'll see that in the code as well. And we worked our way down to serialization and deserialization. We talked about last time about, you know, I've got an object in memory. Now I need to save it to disk because I'm about to turn my laptop off. And when I turn my power off, everything in my RAM memory is gone. And I I need to save it and persist it. And that's what our serialization is for, taking that object instance and putting it to disk. Uh, And then we get it back off the disk by deserializing it. And you see that in the sample as well in messages, message.bin. 
And uh, then at the end of it, we were supposed to do our homework of, okay, the sample as is shows you how to add uh, new products to the shopping basket. What would you do if you wanted to remove products from the shopping basket? So if you guys want to work on that or if you did work on that, you can look at what I did on my GitHub uh, account, which is KStreet, K-S-T-R-E-E-T. And I just chose to fork the samples project from the being the worst account and put fork that into my own K Street account. Uh, and then I, you know, renamed it to BTW samples homework. And I added the, uh, the new classes and messages that, uh, Renat assigned. And if you want to take a look at that, you can. And if you'd like to do that yourself, maybe, maybe sometime down the road, we'll, we'll even look at other people's code if they have questions or comments about, you know, Hey, I was doing my homework. I have questions. I got stuck here. Could you guys maybe help me with that? And, and maybe we'll pull that out as a comment and, and uh, ask Renat questions about uh, where you might have been stuck. So uh, summary was after listening to the episode back and going through the sample code, it was much more clear to me about how that conversation turned into a deeper understanding of messaging once you do that. So I highly, highly, highly suggest of you, if you can, to go look at that source code and work through the homework because um, I feel much better about messaging now that I've done that. So, And I think at some other point, we'll talk about when I figure out, you know, when as Renat keeps adding samples to the GitHub repo, I want to keep my fork in sync with those samples so I can keep my homework separate but have all the samples updated. And we'll talk about how you can use GitHub to pull in those latest changes and keep your forks uh, up to date too. So you can have your own homework notes uh, but also keep the latest samples up to date. So that's uh, that's where we are, Renat. And uh, really appreciate that sample because uh, it helped me quite a bit. So what did you want to talk about this time? Okay, that sounds good. And actually, like the effort that you are putting to do the homework and actually to recap the uh, material that we went through, it will really pay it off down the road. Uh, I recall, and I think you mentioned that earlier, that in the first episode, I was mentioning that a lot of stuff that might not make sense at this point in time, but will be extremely important down the road. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just wanted to talk about some more things that are extremely important as basics, but will matter a lot later. The things that we're currently doing right now, they are twofold. First, we're talking about uh, some bits of technology, and then we're also talking about the theoretical basics, uh, the core essence of some things. And for example, in this messaging episode, uh, the technology uh, was about the messaging, uh, about the message classes, about their serialization, deserialization, persistence, application, passing, etc., etc., However, this is technology. Uh, and I understand that this might be different. Uh, that's what might make this course uh, slightly different from other courses. But in our way, technology is completely irrelevant. Technology is completely disposable. Technology can be thrown away. Uh, it can be implemented. It can be uh, migrated between platforms. Uh, it can be always redone. What's more important is actually business processes, uh, essence, and things that uh, that. Uh, the technology or its model captures. Uh, in our approach, we start by capturing uh, some parts of the real world in words. In this, uh, in our case, words are messages. And words are extremely important. Uh, words in the real world, let's forget about the technology for a short, for a short term. Uh, this is how we think. Uh, this is how I talk to you right now. The words are being recorded in audio and then you will listen to them. Words are just uh, groups of 
uh, audio vibrations that are passed through the air, captured by the mic, then they are produced, uh, and they go to, uh, into your ear, and you hear them, and they make something happen in your brain. You listen, you understand, uh, I get the knowledge transferred to you. The words are how people communicated for centuries. Uh, in the old times, people used to send emails. I mean, sorry, uh, emails were uh, a long time after. Before that, people uh, used to write messages. Messages used to uh, make things happen. Messages used, were used to describe the world. And in essence, what we're trying to do with the computer science, uh, when we're applying it to the real world, we're actually taking the computer science and applying it to solve real-world problems. However, if we want to use uh, to apply them uh, with some success to be able to automate complex processes, to be able to create uh, new business processes or business models that help people solve the problem or make their lives better, then we need to capture the essence. And we start by capturing essence in uh, messages. When we're starting to work on some project, we think about the project, we think about what it tries to reflect. And the vocabulary, the context of this project, the context of this situation uh, will be expressed with words which will be coded as messages. Uh, so message is something that uh, is used to transfer intent or to transfer description of something happened. Like uh, when Kerry started coding uh, his homework, he uh, added additional messages uh, in his homework assignment. It was uh, remove product from basket message and also uh, change product quantity message. Uh, however, like there is uh, one thing that already uh, strikes as important and as being slightly offset. Uh, in real world, you usually don't say change product quantity. That's something that comes from the technological domain. So when we're talking about the product baskets, uh, we can say uh, remove product from basket or if we need to change quantity, it's still remove product from basket or maybe correct quantity or add something that is missing or uh, swap the product. So in essence, change is a word or term that comes from the computer science. Right, yeah, human, science, uh, a human shopper isn't going to say that. We're used like, to change the variable. We are used to change the uh, values in the databases. That's how people uh, who are focused on the technology do, and maybe that's applicable in the pure technological domain when you're writing operating system, when you're writing vector clock, etc., etc. In the real world, people don't change. Right, and I, can, I think something can, more yeah. accurately would say, you know, customer customer put item back on shelf or something like that instead. Absolutely. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, once again, this might feel not like the right approach because in computer science, uh, we're used to write hacky code. We're used to write uh, variables that are at most four characters long because if it's uh, short or if it's too long, we'll just, I don't know, it will take too much computer. Uh, I don't know. It will take too much uh, space on the screen. That's how hackers write. Hackers write code that is uh, uncomprehensible, uh, that is hard to explain, that is hard to read, and that does not have maybe direct references uh, to the real world. That's because hackers are smart and they can uh, actually compile uh, code in, RAM, in their own heads. However, what we're trying to do with our uh, code, with our approach, is to express, is to capture uh, real world in text, in code, in such a way that it would read like a poem, that would read like a story. If you take a look at the sample for the first uh, episode, like it has a lot of text, it has a lot of comment, uh, a lot of content that contributed by Kerry. 
this sample, it's not only executable code that acts as a sample, it's also narrative. Narrative that explains you what messaging is. And when we're writing our code, it's extremely important that we make this code also read like a narrative, like a poem. Because later on, uh, you will find this extremely useful. In essence, when you're writing the code, you should... Again, the code should be a poem. It should capture the words in essence. So it should be like, wow, I'm reading a code and it immediately feels like a poem from Endymion. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but still will keep a bower quiet for us and asleep, full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. Okay, these are pure words, but they have some meaning. Once again, the words uh, in computer science are our messages. Messages transfer content. They used to transfer uh, meaning between continents, between people. They used to make put nations into war and put them back to into peace. And that's what we'll, we'll be doing with our code. Do you literally, uh, Renat, um, and I think just to clarify, I mean, when you look at the sample, I added a ton of comments, and I think you, you meant more you meant more philosophically. Obviously, these are samples meant for people to learn how to, what messaging is, so I added a ton of comments. And in, in, in practice, though, what we'd be trying to achieve is that level of expressiveness with the actual code by naming properly and being, you know, making the code very easy to understand and not necessarily marking up the code with you know, five paragraphs of comments like I did in the sample, but, but more, um, what you're actually writing with the code itself. So, so when you say we're talking about words, you literally mean our messages are the words by the name of the message, right? Remove product from basket. Those are the words you're talking about, right? Yes, absolutely. And not also by the name of the message, but also by the intent of the message. And uh, later down the road, as we'll continue uh, writing our code, like when we start uh, going into capturing complex behaviors and printing them out in the specifications, uh, you will see how the code, written code that is executable, is also translated automatically. It is being reflected into readable documentation that uh, human beings uh, can understand, like not even developers, but usual project managers. Mm-hmm. So in essence, it's really important to understand that the code should be a reflection of some real world. That the code should not be focused on the technology. Because, once again, technology is irrelevant. Uh, Technology can be thrown out. So uh, that's why we're starting this uh, course, not by uh, discussing like complex uh, scaling out techniques, not by discussing uh, nature of event-only streams, how they behave in the cloud computing environments as opposed to local environments, or how to achieve almost infinite scalability in Pat Helen's universe. This is something that we can come to, and that's something that is, can be relatively done. Because uh, if you structure your projects, if you structure your thinking in a way that it focuses on business domain, on the real world, then this implementation, this code, it can be taken from a single uh, simple console application and put into the cloud without any problems. Okay, uh, having that said, uh, let's try to dive slightly deeper into the messages and uh, actually what the heck this thing is. Okay. So uh, from this point forth down the road, uh, we'll talk about two types of messages. We'll talk about commands and events. Uh, and they will have uh, like a different expression. It will be really easy to distinguish between them. Uh, command is something that we tell. It's some instruction, it's some order, it's some request. And it will be always in, in Add product to the basket. Put product on the shelf. Uh, create, uh, add more products to the inventory or sell product. It's a request 
uh, it and uh, each of these requests, it should contain information enough so that the some other party who will execute it uh, down the road, it will be able to carry it out. And then we'll have another type of message. It will be an event. Uh, an event is notification. It's a report. Uh, it's information about something that happened in the past. So event is always will be in the past tense, something that happened. So for example, uh, imagine that we with Kerry are a distributed system. I'm sitting here in Ufa, Kerry is uh, recording in the United States, and I'm telling him put product in the basket. And his reply will be either like, sorry, couldn't do, or I put the product in the basket, or product was put in the basket. So he, uh, he will uh, send me an event, he will uh, well, send verbally that something has happened in the past, and unless I have a time machine, I will not be able to change it. <laughs> so inherently, the uh, difference between commands and events is that command is a request to do something. Uh, and it can be carried out sometime later. Event is information about something that happened in the past. It is in the past tense. Uh, it tells the story of what happened. It can't be changed, although it can uh, take some time for this uh, information to reach me. So, uh, for example, right now I'm telling to carry and he hears the command uh, message immediately. If I were to do the same by different messaging channel, like by sending him an email or even snail mail, he'll receive the same message sometime later, and he'll, then he'll be able to carry out the operation and then send me mail back saying, okay, this was done, this was done. Mm -hmm. uh, this might seem uh, really trivial, but commands and events are extremely important for building distributed systems. That's how distributed systems uh, communicate with each other. That's how they deal with availability and consistency. So ju just to reiterate, now that we understand what a foundational message class is, the these two new forms, the, these two concepts of command and event are just two different types of messages that are named differently due to their intent, command being a request to do something, an event being something recording a message that records something that did or did not happen. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, actually, event is a recording of something that happened. Right, and, and I meant with be, the... With uh, the uh, I, uh, for example, for the command, put product in the basket, uh, the events, like the explanation of what, ha what happened after uh, trying to fulfill that request, it can be... Uh, product was put in the basket, I put or I put the product in the basket. Or there could be different outcomes. The basket was full, so uh, the, I, wouldn't, I wasn't able to put the product in the basket. Or the basket broke down and everything uh, fell out of it. Or there was no product on the shelf. Right, yeah. And by did not happen, that, that's what I meant. It was even if, if you told me to put the product in the basket, but uh, there is no basket, I would generate an event saying basket was lost in somewhere, you know, or whatever. Basket yes. was gone. I guess it would be in the past tense. So uh, basket destroyed, you know, <laughs> sorry. Yes, something like <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, okay. Uh, and in essence, like uh, one additional specific what's the word, characteristic of messaging that we see here is that it can take some time for the message uh from command from me to reach Kerry and uh, for uh, an event from him to reach me. This uh, is actually a different reflection of temporal decoupling. And that's how that will really help when we start building uh, temporally decoupled and distributed systems. 
imagine like an occasionally connected smart client that uh, or occasionally connected uh, application on your smartphone uh, which will communicate with the rest of the services with the rest of the world uh, by messages like you can uh, do something uh, write some code write some notes write some messages uh, compose them on your uh, smartphone while you're flying across the Atlantic and you're disconnected but then when this smartphone will get into this uh, GPS connection and it will get connectivity back, then it will send all pending commands and it will receive all pending events of the stuff that happened in the real world while it was offline, while it was disconnected. Mm -hmm. So in essence, when we perceive messaging, like messaging happens between certain parties, between people, between organization, between servers, uh, and these parties use, uh, they live in disconnected world. It can take some time for the message to, leave, uh, to, receive, uh, to reach recipient. It makes it easier when we're thinking about computer systems to think not about this imme almost immediately connected uh, real world where the packet that uh, is sent from me to carry reaches him like within 50 milliseconds, but think about all worlds before telegraphs when people were sending uh, postal mail. It took. It could have, could have taken like uh, months or years for the mail to re, uh, reach recipient. And actually, in the computer world, fifty milliseconds, uh, or one second, or two seconds, it's literally months. And uh, by paying attention, like to this uh, small temporal difference that uh, requires the message to reach recipient, uh, by making it explicit, it will simplify a lot of things on our side when we start uh, scaling these uh, systems massively. Okay, so we have two types of messages. We have commands and events. How this uh, can be linked to the real world or how this can be working. Uh, imagine a factory. A factory has a manager, it has uh, a bunch of workers that actually assemble parts and maybe let's imagine they make cars and there is an office that just helps manager to run the factory. Uh, so each morning man manager uh, comes to the factory and he starts reading reports that were prepared for him earlier. And based on the reports, he sees that, for example, the production of uh, car T, uh, it dropped. So uh, then this Henry Ford uh, sends an instruction, sends a message to workers down the factory saying, okay, uh, start producing more Model T cars. And this message, it will be probably carried by a courier who comes, uh, who picks up the request or order from the manager and drops it at the factory. Then there'll be some workers who receive this command, they read the message and they either say, okay, uh, I started producing more cars or sorry, we don't have uh, enough spare parts. Uh, and when he says that, either there is some guy from the office that will record this event or he will just uh, write this on a piece of uh, paper that will be gathered later during the day. Uh, and there could be hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of workers that work in the same way. They receive commands uh, to do something, and then they write notes of something that happened, that they were able to carry out the order, or that they were not able to carry out the order. Then sometime uh, at the end of the day, there is an office that gathers all these uh, distributed scattered notes together and composes reports of what happened during the day, of how many cars were produced, Obviously, like each worker, when he produces car, uh, he either adds one to the daily sheet or just drops a note that, okay, hey, car, uh, car was produced. 
And the authors will gather all this uh, information and produce it uh, a bunch of readable reports for the manager. And so the next hour or the next morning when manager comes uh, in back to the work, he will be able to read the reports, uh, get his a new perception of the situation, and send the new instructions, new commands to the factory. So as you can see here, we don't uh, have immediate connection between uh, parties in the system. Like uh, manager doesn't call workers on a direct line and he doesn't hold him uh, on the phone till the actual worker finishes producing the dump car. The worker, uh, while doing that, he doesn't uh, also have another smart uh, phone in his hand and doesn't uh, call the office saying, okay, I produced this car, I produced this part, I produced this part, and oh, wait a second, I have to get back to the manager to tell him that I finished producing the car. Mm -hmm. So we have a really decoupled system. And actually, elements of the system, they communicate via their messages. Well, and uh, office it publishes uh, document reports. So uh, what we're talking here, it's something, it's a story. It's a story of real-world system. And probably uh, already based on the story, you can figure out like which additional commands and events that can happen uh, in this factory world. Like which kind of reports uh, the office might produce. Uh, which kind of commands uh, the manager can send to the factory. For example, the command can be, uh, let's do double overtime tonight. And obviously you can imagine what kind of events or responses the factory workers can do that, starting from, okay, we'll do boss, uh, and up to some really literally Russian curses. <laughs> uh, and actually, while I was telling you the story of the real world, I also explained to you the design, uh, how it can be implemented. Uh, factory workers that carries out the orders is an application service that handles commands and publishes events. Office that receives these events and prepares reports for the manager is just a projection host. What I'm trying to explain here is that uh, although in the short term we'll be uh, focusing only on the main knowledge, on these word games, as we may might see, uh, on capturing some uh, abstract concept from the real world in code, in the long term, this will fall nicely into the architectures that can scale, that can be migrated between platforms, between languages, that can interact over a large set of data or real-time data. I think you me you mentioned two pretty important things in there, and I just wanted to mm -hmm. clarify that again. So you said that the the workers down on the factory floor receiving the instructions from their manager to you know build more BMWs. Mm -hmm. um, they are they are the group of they are like an application service you said that receives those commands and yes. and then processes those commands to carry out the work when they can they'll mm -hmm. build the cars and then they also generate the status of new new Mercedes CLS five fifty built or whatever they generate those events and then yes. as as they finish doing that the manager wants to get a summary of that, of those those events that happened, and that that report that they're looking at would be generated in our lingo as a, you said projection? Yes. Okay. Uh, so projection is a technical word. So uh, let's uh, skip that for a short, short term. Uh, what, what can happen, for example, is that the, there is a fa big factory, and workers, uh, when they're finishing producing like some part, they just shout out loud, done or uh, completed, or not enough spare parts, or screw the manager. On strike, right. <laughs> yeah. 
and there will be somebody in this uh, factory office who will be just writing the, uh, these comments down on audio tape or just uh, typing them down on a typing machine. Then, uh, because like there will be such a huge amount of information coming from this factory, in, uh, especially if you have uh, hundreds and hundreds of workers cursing at the same time, so that's uh, it is impossible to compute to write a report of what happened uh, at that rate because you'll need to be editing multiple documents at the same time. Like, okay, new car uh, was created, was produced, so we need to add uh, one more uh, item here, and it also changes the total amount of cars of produ- that were produced, and it also changes total value of uh, cars being produced, and it also changes the profit margin, etc., etc. So instead, uh, like, humans are being slow, and we'll take uh, it slow in this sample as well. So the guy who is uh, recording the events, he'll just write them uh, into some story like a manuscript, appending new events at the end. And then uh, later, uh, when the office has time, they'll grab this uh, manuscript, the part that he already wrote down, and they will pre- uh, like aggregate it, project it into the report. And the report will be a document available for the manager whenever he sees fit. So in essence, the manager will never see real-time situation on the uh, factory unless he goes into the factory and gathers all these scattered pieces, which will be a complete waste of time for him to do. So he instead, just uh, once per hour, once per half an hour, he'll request an updated report. An updated report will contain information about the factory as if it were uh, half an hour ago, maybe 10 minutes ago. Uh, and this will be enough for the manager to like, send out the next order, next command. Right. Sna- reports are just snapshots of a point in time. Yes. Uh, and they are uh, not just... a abstract snapshot, there are snapshots, there are representations of some aspect of the factory, uh, which is uh, needed by the manager in order to, to make some decision. And uh, obviously, like uh, given a recorded story of events that happened in a factory, you can produce really different types of reports. Like at some point, uh, the manager might say, okay, I'm really worried about the diversity, the linguistical diversity uh, of the factory. Uh, please write, uh, create me, write me a report that contains uh, top top hundred most frequently used words in a factory. Of course, he might be surprised by the results and the diversity, uh, <laughs> but this report is something that uh, he didn't in- in- initially asked for. But since there is a guy who writes uh, all words that were said in the factory, then the office will be able to actually compute the list of most frequently used words. Right, so so sort of sort of hinting there at a side benefit of having this guy or gal that's sitting around and writing all these words that are happening down. They don't even know what the why they would care about that necessarily, but because they're recorded and written down in someone's journal, should they care about those words someday, they could run a report on it. Yes. And we can always guarantee that since the factory worker factory workers, they communicate using these words, uh, they tell everything that happens to them by events, and since events inherently tell everything that happens, and since everything is recorded, then we can always uh, use this information down the road to produce any type of a report, uh, any type, to project it to any, in any type of the persistent read model of you. Got it. And, oh, I, and, and I think yeah. we're hinting there, even though we're avoiding technology, I can't help but think about the, you know, where that must obviously be leading us to, which is, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if 
historically there was always somebody around writing down all the stuff that we thought was important and maybe not important, but at least someone recorded it somewhere. And because in technology these days we may have a relatively inexpensive way to just kind of record everything and in case we might need it, it might be beneficial to, to write all these words down. Yes, absolutely. So uh, for uh, slightly more advanced listeners who are familiar with my blog and stuff that was happening like with the secure SDD. So later on, like this basics that we're talking about, this is actually the foundation of event sourcing. Uh, this is the foundation of uh, real-time replication of data between systems uh, for reliable replication of data, etc., etc. Got it. And actually, so uh, for the next uh, episode... I suggest uh, we actually get to the event sourcing or getting back to the sample. Uh, we'll suggest how to implement and model a single factory worker, how to implement what he remembers, and how he actually uh, like accepts deals with the commands and sends uh, publishes notification. So in essence, we model uh, life of a worker. How does this sound? That sounds good. That sounds really good. Okay, and uh, for the homework, like this uh, episode will be accompanied uh, by uh, some drawings that I'll push to the uh, GitHub repository. Uh, And for the homework, it would be uh, the task just to write a short dictionary of uh, commands and events that can happen around this factory. Like, for example, what can be instruction or command sent by the manager through the factory plant uh, and which outcomes it can happen it can happen right so so which what descriptive names could you use to describe the commands that you would give to those factory workers yeah and, and maybe like uh, what uh, parameters these commands might have etc cetera, etc cetera. this mm-hmm. might feel like an exercise in creative writing back in the high school mm-hmm. but this is exactly what our domain modeling process is about it's about the capturing of the language. So uh, if you practice it right now by capturing this uh, imaginary uh, factory domain, it will be much easier, for example, come, to come to the sales department and uh, start capturing the, this weird and crazy uh, marketing campaigns and marketing schemes that they may ha- might have. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the core idea here is uh, to structure, to uh, express this command in such a way, using as many words in the class names as needed, that when I'm reading the command, when I'm reading the parameters of the command, I'll be able to immediately understand what it means without any comments, without any additional text, or without any additional uh, dictionary. Right. Because uh, our intent, our purpose, is to write the code that is expressive uh, enough that it reads like a story that is self-explanatory. This is extremely important down the road when we uh, get into the process of distributing work between teams uh, about... uh, distributing work on multiple components of the same system uh, between teams like in different countries. If the code, uh, if contracts expressed with the messages are expressive enough on their own, this will drastically reduce the amount of uh, technical documentation that you need. Uh, This will drastically reduce the amount of collaboration and conversation that you need. So ideally, uh, if your code is expressive, you'll be able to get to the point where you can take a single feature, uh, explain describe it in terms of commands and events, and then uh, pass this explanation to multiple guys in parallel so that one guy uh, will be coding uh, the client UI for this uh, feature. The other guy will be coding maybe uh, application service services like behavior for this feature. Uh, third guy will be writing tests for this feature, and they'll be doing that in parallel. 
without uh, like uh, doing work that will not mix uh, well t- together in the end. They'll be working on the aspect of the same problem in parallel together without conflicts just because they have the same language, they, just because they have the same understanding of the problem to solve. And mm-hmm. this is possible just because we managed to express this uh, in uh, words, in commands and events that match to the real world. And uh, they also happen to like to match to the vocabulary and past experience of these people working on the problem. So having that said, hopefully uh, this messaging podcast, uh, although it might sound uh, theoretical, uh, hopefully it wasn't uh, extremely boring for the listeners. No, I, I think it's clearly, you know, I've read your blog before, so I know it's clearly setting the stage for more important things to come. And, and this is the beginning of us learning how to speak a new vocabulary so that we can take things that we see and document and learn from other humans in the real world that understand how to do things that we don't and take that understanding and write it down in executable code that makes sense to us and them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and in essence, like this language uh, that is expressed in messages and commands and events, it's already part of the ubiquitous language. Ubiquitous language is a term that is used in domain-driven design. So in essence, uh, with this approach, like from very basics, we're already setting up stage uh, for the domain modeling process for uh, domain-driven design. And in essence, like the person who can do such deep level, deep uh, level of playing with words, with capturing real-world uh, things, in words, essentially being a writer, in the technological uh, scene, he is called domain expert. Uh, and if you're were capturing, if you're staying on track of what happens in the IT world these days, uh, in Java and Sharp communities, uh, domain developers are actually the guys who are the most expensive, uh, the most valuable, among the most valuable professionals in the industry. Because they are maybe not the guys who can uh, optimize a SQL query uh, that contains 128 joints, but they can talk to the business people, they can capture uh, the essence you can express it in words, in messages, in commands that will be used down the system, down, uh, later down the road in the system. And that's what we're trying to uh, talk about, and that's the process importance of which we're trying to highlight. Understood. Once again, like this journey is not about as, uh, a coder or a junior, devel- junior level developer it's, uh, or senior level developer. Uh, in this podcast, we're targeting like individuals or small groups who are willing to, take, uh, to wear many hats and uh, to do what it takes, like to build a large and compli- actually seemingly complicated systems all by their own. And this is one of the foundational blocks for it. Excellent. And so just to clarify the homework again, it was to create write-down commands that you would that you would send down to the factory floor, example descriptive commands such as, you know, paint truck 15 red, and mm-hmm. the response of that factory, truck 15 painted red. Um, mm-hmm. or whatever whatever your examples are going to come up with. Um, write those down uh, and come up with okay. examples for that. Yeah, and also a uh, second part of this uh, assignment is uh, first uh, define the vocabulary, define the ubiquitous language, what like terms mean. And second part of this linguistic exercise, it will be actually to try to explain how workers would uh, understand these commands and how would he, car- uh, he would uh, carry them out. So, for example, uh, and this would be like usual sentences that use names of the commands and events in the sentences as part of the la- like usual language. Like, for example, uh, when uh, 
worker is instructed uh, to paint the truck red, uh, he will do this. And then he'll publish uh, and he'll say, okay, truck was painted red. Or uh, if the worker doesn't have uh, enough paint and when he was uh, when he's instructed to actually paint the car red, he will say, okay, sorry, I don't have the... Then he will say that he doesn't have the paint. Or... Uh, given the, the fact that the worker has worked uh, 60 hours this week already, when he's instructed uh, to do some more overtime, uh, he'll uh, get back to his uh, expressive language words. Makes sense. Okay. So does it feel like uh, being back in the high school again? Uh, I don't know. I, did. I don't even remember that. <laughs> but uh, I, I do think it makes sense, and I look forward to working on that. The, if uh, this exercise was as useful uh, as the last one, I'm uh, more, than, more than excited to, to get working on it. So um, I think that probably wraps up what we want to talk about as it relates to we're using human language and words to tell stories and how we want to um, – understand that before we just jump into event sourcing but that's coming up next i believe event sourcing in the yes, next episode and just remember that you can find us um the sample code at github.com and username being the worst we're on twitter at being the worst and our website is being the worst.com we welcome and we are hoping for comments on the episodes there so if you have questions about things please feel free to leave comments on the website and we read those and respond those and um, hopefully if we start getting some more feedback uh, I will read those back on the air and we can get questions into Renat or, or discuss some of the things that stand out that seem to be common patterns uh, we also I believe have a user voice site which is being the worst dot user voice dot com I believe and you can mm-hmm. just give us general feedback about feedback and suggestions about what are we doing right what are we doing wrong what are you what ideas do you have and all that good stuff uh, it's brand new so we're 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 figuring out as we go and we welcome all that kind of stuff so actually uh, so in essence like all the links are available on the website mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just to mention how we're planning to proceed with the podcast. So in the beginning of the podcast, uh, Harry will uh, talk about his homework, his uh, understanding, or the things that I completely uh, confused him with in the homework assignment or the previous podcasts. And he'll uh, recap what was done before. Uh, if you uh, submitted any questions, if you, had, if you too had any problems, uh, like... Uh, and if these uh, problems are expressed in the comments, Kerry will tr- uh, try to voice them all, uh, as well. So in essence, in the beginning of the podcast, we'll try to recap the previous uh, class, the previous lesson, uh, and answer any missing uh, questions. Yep. Obviously, like if there is a huge amount of questions being answered, then that's an indication that I did an extremely poor wor- uh, work trying to explain some simple stuff, and we'll do like one more episode completely answering the questions. Yep, that's the plan. Okay, so it was uh, really nice uh, talking to you and actually learning a lot from the process of explaining the basics. It really helps to connect the dots. I'm so, glad you're getting uh, value out of this too. So, for uh, everybody for listening <laughs> and especially to Carrie for being such a wonderful host. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Renat. I appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day at work and uh, we will see you guys next time on the Being the Worst podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.